morning, church. Good to see you and welcome family or friends that are maybe visiting us for the holiday. Great to have you to worship with us as well. I, um, I have to say I get a kick out of a lot of the different mobile services that we have these days. So, for example, there's mobile pet grooming. Maybe you've seen this. Now, we don't have any pets except for a goldfish, and so we won't be needing their services. The other one that I've noticed, I don't know how I've missed this in previous years, but the other one I'm seeing more of is Christmas light installation companies. Have you seen these signs around? I guess I live under a rock. I have not seen these in previous years, but you can pay people to come put up your Christmas lights. Now, I also won't be needing their services because I have one string of lights and I keep it up all year round. And so... No insulation necessary. But I want to tell you about my favorite such mobile service. It's called Goats to Go. Goats to Go. So there's a park near our house, which I drive by almost every day. And every, every year, late summer, early fall, Goats to Go brings a flock of goats and sheep. And this year, one alpaca, one brown alpaca, in the flock, and they, they set them up, and they, they have a, a kind of a mobile pen that they move around different parts of the property that they want the goats and the sheep to graze on. And, uh, but what's interesting is these animals, they're left out for weeks at a time, just weeks on end until the job is done, until all the brush gets knocked back. And now, I have nothing against goats to go. I think this is a pretty interesting concept. But I always feel like every year driving by, I always feel, man, aren't these animals a little vulnerable out here all night and day and for weeks on end? Now, it's possible that the one alpaca is sort of the protection or something. I, I'm not sure. Maybe the alpaca is a little more aggressive than the rest to keep away any predators. But... But why do I feel this way? Well, I happen to hunt on a different property in a different area that has hired goats to go in the past. And a few years ago, one late winter day, a nice sunny day, I was kind of scouting around this property, and I came upon the skeleton of an animal. And I thought, huh, that's just like a pretty fully preserved skeleton. Now, this is a little probably a little morbid for some of you, but this is the stuff that I encounter out there all the time in the woods. But here I find this little skeleton, and I'm thinking, huh, is that a a deer of some kind? You know, I I was was a little confused, couldn't quite figure it out. And so then, a little bit later, I was on a totally, completely different part of the property, and I come upon an animal's skull and a few other bones. And I'm thinking, man, this... This cannot be a deer. This is too small of a frame for that. And then I remembered that they had hired goats to go a couple of years before. And so it made perfect sense at this point. And so evidently what had happened was in their valiant efforts to knock down the brush for the landowner, they had apparently suffered a couple of casualties, one or maybe more, maybe a coyote, Who knows? 
Not sure what got to them. But it makes a little more sense that it was just that one year that they hired and brought out the goats to go. Well, unlike the flock that I see every year, late summer, early fall, at our local park, our text this morning in John 10 describes a flock which enjoys a greater measure of protection, of good leadership, of good shepherding. It's a flock that still faces real threats, but a flock that's led by a good shepherd. And so this morning, as we look at John 10, we're going to look at this good shepherd, Jesus, and we're going to look at his flock. Now, as you heard, as you heard the text read, there's several different players in this text, and so we're going to unpack each of them and try to figure out what they represent. And we're going to follow the contours of the text itself, which contrast these false shepherds with a good shepherd. False shepherds who are really a threat to the well-being of the flock, to their flourishing, versus a good shepherd who serves and provides and leads them to safe pasture. And then after we look at both of these things, we're going to consider a couple of implications of this for our lives. And so, friends, as we turn to this text, would you first pray with me? So, God, we thank you, of course, for your word. And we thank you that you are our shepherd. God, as sheep, we are dependent. We face threats. We face challenges. And yet, God, we pray that you would train us to hear your voice and follow you wholeheartedly. And so, God, as we look at your word, would you, by your spirit, illuminate this text for us? Open our minds and our hearts to receive from you and from your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's to our advantage that we've gone through the whole book of John up to this point, because that gives us some context, some background, some insight for understanding what Jesus is here doing And what's one of the things that we've seen so far, if you've been tracking with with us? Well, one of the major themes is that we've seen these Jewish religious leaders and authorities, Pharisees, as Jesus will identify them here, elsewhere referred to as teachers of the law in the Gospels. And we've seen these figures just resist and oppose Jesus at every turn. And so, for example, we see them nitpicking about the timing that he chooses for some of his healings, that he chooses to heal on a Sabbath. We see them objecting to Jesus' claims that he's making about himself and, and then objecting to the conclusions that people are coming to about this teacher. And then even last week in John 9, you might remember the man who was born blind, who is healed also on a Sabbath. And You might remember that the religious leaders there sort of push the guy around and they kind of intimidate and interrogate him. And then eventually they just kick him out of the temple. And so we've seen leaders who want to seize Jesus, arrest Jesus, kill Jesus. But so far they've been unsuccessful. And so what we have here is these men who are are thought of as the spiritual leaders, the, the shepherds of this nation, this people. 
In fact, they prove themselves to be poor shepherds because they reject the true shepherd. Well, straight away, Jesus begins to describe them. Verse 1, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. A little bit later in verse 5, these, Jesus says that these thieves and these robbers that he's just named here are in fact strangers. They're strangers who, who the Messiah's flock will not recognize, will not follow. And then in verse 7, Jesus offers a little explanation about this gate that he's mentioned. In verse 7, Jesus explains that he is the gate. He is the way. He is the access to safety and to pasture. He is the very gate that these thieves and robbers refuse to access by. And so what's going on here is we have Jesus describing Israel. God's covenant people. They are the sheep. And Jesus is here saying that he is calling some out from among them to be his flock, to be the flock of Messiah. And Jesus is saying that there's many there who, who, who would seek to exercise their supposed shepherding over this flock, this people, without submitting to the true shepherd, the gate, the only access point for the truth and the grace of God, which is Jesus Christ. So these false shepherds, they, they, they reject Jesus as Messiah. They want to silence him. They want to destroy him. They don't want to go through the gate. Rather, they want to hop the fence to retain their authority over this flock. Well, in the Old Testament, we have some precedent for this notion of calling out the leaders and the shepherds of Israel. Ezekiel the prophet in chapter 34 receives a word from the Lord, a prophetic word from the Lord for these very shepherds, supposed shepherds of Israel. And this word comes at a time when Israel has been cast out of their land, exiled, experiencing judgment for their sin, for their transgression against God's law, and this is the word that the prophet has for these supposed shepherds. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays. Or search for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. This word continues, and I pick up in verse 15, and notice what the Lord does and offers. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So it's amazing. The Lord is saying, I'm going to shepherd my people. These leaders, these supposed shepherds, they're, they're, 
They're dropping the ball. They've, they've led the nation and looked the other way as the nation was led into sin and into judgment. Then we have verse 8. Look with me at verse 8. Jesus offers another layer of what he's talking about. He says there, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. What's going on here most likely is that both before the time of Christ and after and ever since the time of Christ, there have been many who would claim to be Messiahs, who claim to be Christ returned. There's people even today so claiming to be this Messiah. But Jesus says here that his, his, his called ones, his, his true sheep, those who hear his voice, will not listen to them. There's one other player here involved that I want to look with, with you at, and that's the hired hand. So another face of this false shepherding. Verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when, the, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So we have a thief, we have a robber, we have a hired hand, all the faces of false shepherding. These figures are threats to the sheep. They're either actively looking to destroy the sheep or they're looking to keep the sheep from the one who can offer them true pasture and safety and life. They're looking to steal the sheep from this true shepherd. And they just frankly have no commitment to the sheep and so they don't protect them when the danger will come. Well, maybe you've experienced in your life some expression of false shepherding. Maybe you've experienced spiritual leaders who push their own agenda or philosophy rather than pointing you to God's word or to the true shepherd of your soul. Maybe you've experienced leaders who only serve for profit or gain. At the time of Christ, in this text, it's these Jewish religious authorities, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. And they are who Jesus is describing in Matthew 23, verse 4, where he says they tie up heavy loads. They put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. What Jesus is saying is these religious authorities, they love to add, parse out the law and add law onto law onto law and bury people under that without any effort to help them live faithfully. Today in our world, it might be spiritual leaders who promise health or prosperity to those who are really faithful to God. It might be cult leaders might be organizations or leaders that seem more interested in legalism than in the holiness of their flock. So that's the expression of this in our day. So friends, that's the false shepherds. That's the human agents, even spiritual authorities who function as false shepherds. These are the ones who want to 
hop the fence rather than go through the gate. These are the ones who hinder our access to the true shepherd, Jesus. So what then of this good shepherd? What then of this true shepherd? We'll jump back with me to verse 2 for a moment. Jesus says, The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's amazing that Jesus here describes a shepherd who calls each member of his flock by name. Friends, God knows us by name. He sees each one of us. This whole text, this implies a personal relationship, a a personal connection. This is a good shepherd who recognizes each individual in his flock. The center of our faith is a personal, relational God who we can know and walk with and trust like sheep know their shepherd. So friends, the question I think that confronts us here and that I'm confronted with myself is, are we walking with this shepherd? Are we creating space in our lives to cultivate this relationship with the shepherd? Are we able to turn off the TV? Are we able to turn off media and get quiet and still to hear his voice? We all know there's plenty of things in this world that will pull us from the shepherd, and so are we drawing near to him? Once he gathers us, verse 4, he leads them to safe pasture. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So do we know his voice? But then in contrast to these false shepherds that we saw, the thieves, the robbers, the hired hand, Jesus says that he is committed to his sheep. See this in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what, what, what do we have here? Of course, we have here and in some of the verses that follow, we have Jesus talking about his very death and resurrection, which is to come. Jesus says he has authority to lay down his life, but he also has authority to take it back up again. Jesus, this good shepherd, because he's a good shepherd, what he did was he ran straight into the threat. Rather than run away like the hired hand, he ran straight into the threat. He entered right into the brokenness of this world, the effects of our sin. He faced it head on, and then he died for it on a cross. But of course, as we celebrate him, stay dead. He rose again and proved his victory. But then look with me at verse 16. There's an important little development here, important little hint that we shouldn't miss and that really many of us in the room have, I would say, benefited from. Verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. See, during most of Jesus' ministry, he is ministering within Israel to Jews, 
And so what's going on here, most interpreters would agree, is that Jesus is referring to a Gentile flock. Non-Jews who would also come to faith in Messiah Jesus. And it's safe to say that most of us in this room have come from that flock. Non-ethnic Jews who also follow and trust and worship the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to bring them all into one flock. And I'm going to be their one shepherd. A couple Sundays ago, you might remember Pastor JP preached John chapter 8. And he made the case that I agree with that the new Israel that the New Testament talks about, or the true Israel, is one body, Jew and non-Jewish believers in Messiah. To put this another way, that this new Israel that is promised and that Jesus is creating is in fact his church, the body of Christ, made up of believing Jews and non-Jewish followers of this Messiah, Jesus. And that is the one flock. So Jesus cares about the sheep. He looks after them. He lays down his life for them. But then really one of the key verses of this whole text. Look with me at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, I love a good full experience. I especially love it when it comes at no extra cost. So a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I made the decision that we needed a new love seat. So up to this point, most of our furniture has come from friends or the curb or secondhand stores. But we just said, you know, buying new this time. So we actually went to a furniture store a novel thing for us. And so what happened was one night we got a babysitter and we spent the first part of our date out shopping at Bob's Discount Furniture. And so we have no kids, mind you, and so we're walking around at peace and trying out various pieces of furniture, taking measurements, doing the whole thing. And we find one that we like, but we're not ready to buy it yet. And so we sort of put it in the cart, so to speak, quite literally. The guy put it in our cart, and um, our digital cart, that is. And a couple weeks later, I returned with my son. So this is now the second trip to Bob's Discount Furniture, and I return with my son Isaac, and, we, and I seal the deal on the love seat. Let's do this. We're going to buy this. And so as we're checking out, turns out that there's a snack bar over here. Freezer full of ice creams cookies, water, coffee, all that you could need. And so my son is thrilled. I'm thrilled. This whole experience just got way better. And so he has an ice cream, and we grab a snack. And then there's a third trip to Bob's Discount Furniture a couple weeks later. So by this point, Bob's is kind of a second home for us and a place that we love and enjoy So this is trip number three. Now the couch is ready to be picked up. And so this time it's a Friday night, and this time it's a family outing. All of us hop in the van. We're going to go get ice cream, and 
load up the load up the new love seat and the kids are sitting on different pieces of furniture. It's like we're having a great time. And so we bring the love seat home. And so, you know, the point is that everything that Bob's discount intended for us as its customers, we got it all. All of it. In fact, one thing I took away from this was that rather than go to the ice cream stand and spend 25 bucks next time with the family, we're just going to go back to Bob's <laughs> discount furniture. Probably bring our own sprinkles, <laughs> toppings. But we took it all in. Everything that was intended for us. God, too, intends a full life for us. Some of you know that verse by another translation which says an abundant life. Life to the full. And friends, this is not a material life. This is not a life full of thrilling exotic vacations. This is not a life of marked by career success. It's a life with God. That's what Jesus intends for us. Friends, we enter into this life one way. We enter into this life through faith in the Good Shepherd. And then as we come into relationship with Him and come into peace with God, we live as His people, as His sheep, as His disciples day by day with His very Spirit alive in us. So this full life means peace with God, walking with God, knowing God. And making him known. So we saw the false shepherds. We saw the detrimental effects of their leadership and their influence. We saw the good shepherd who is committed to us. Who calls us by name. What are a couple implications then of this word for us? Well the first is quite simple and yet quite profound. It's just a reminder that our Good Shepherd is a relational God, that He wants to speak, He wants to lead us, He wants to provide for us. Some of you might remember Sister Bellin's reflection for us a couple of weeks ago when she, right before she prayed for us in our service, and she observed that sheep are valuable. And she's right. You are valuable to your shepherd. So valuable that he would lay down his life for you so that you could be, back, be brought back into his very fold. So friends, we're fundamentally a called people. God has called us to be part of his flock. And for some of you here, even this morning, he is calling you right now to come to him in faith. But the second thing that I think is important, friends, is sheep are by nature, by design, meant to be part of a flock. There's something important about the communal, the corporate aspect of this. The sheep need each other for safety and for protection. We, too, need each other to flourish in our life with God. We were also de designed to discern God's voice together in community. And so 
Friends, isolation is dangerous. Being a lone ranger believer is dangerous. And so I think the challenge for us and the encouragement for us is to love God's flock, to be committed to God's flock, to serve God's flock. As sheep, there's times, and we all know it, where we face challenges, we may become distracted, we may even wander off. But we know that as we stay connected to the flock, we know that there will be others who will help us find the shepherd. Let us pray. So God, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you would lead us forward from this place to know and walk with you and to hear your voice above all the other voices. God, thank you for this local body of your people. Lord, may we encourage one another. May we point one another to the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.